Morning, church family. I'm in Daniel 4, so if you can turn there, either using the Bibles in your row or your own. If you're using the Bibles in your row, it's page 524. Page 524. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how wonderful, his, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night, I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, Chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then, as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar That was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can, because you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The dream you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. 
but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord, the king. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was talked he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this majestic city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice from called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. All right. Good morning. Thank you, Hannah. So we're continuing our series this morning, obviously from Daniel 4, and this is the story of the king who went crazy. Okay, and we get the telling of this from what appears to be like a diary. He's doing some self-reflection. The king is telling the story in first person. Um, and we, 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 glimpse, we glimpse this story in three parts. So if you followed the narrative there, uh, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had was of a vast tree that became worldwide and grew up and became an ecosystem and fed the nations. The second part of this dream is that this tree is cut down and stripped to a stump 
And the third movement of the dream is that this stump, strangely, becomes a wild living thing and symbolizes a, the descent of a human person um, into insanity. There is a big reveal in the middle of this interchange between King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar Daniel, where, like on the reality show, it's, it's discovered that that tree, your majesty, is you. And as the story plays out, King Nebuchadnezzar, although maybe alarmed, continues on his path, and all the fulfillment of this prophecy happens to him in space and time. Now, this is an amazing story that I believe also serves as a spiritual parable with very deep and contemporary lessons for our lives about the dynamics of pride and humility and also how crazy happens. Okay, so let me give you several observations. First, the king tells us that he was living in peace and prosperity. Now that may be the only understatement in this passage. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world. There would have been a Forbes list, also the richest. Um, his authority was unquestioned. This man was a man who got what he wanted, not just some of the time, but all the time. Um, historians tell us that the city, his capital that they built, um, was one of the wonders of the ancient world. The walls surrounding the city were 85 feet high, 25 feet thick. There was actually a highway around the top of the walls. They were so wide. Um, history tells us that one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives missed the rolling hill country of her birthplace, and so Nebuchadnezzar actually built her a mountain um, in which... Uh, we received the Hanging Gardens, if you read about that in your history book, one of the ancient seven wonders of the ancient world, literally tiered gardens. The city was glimmering. It was modern. Um, this man's power was unrivaled. He certainly lived in peace and prosperity. Here's what I want to point out to you. Um, oftentimes we think that adversity is our worst enemy in life, but it turns out that for many... Success can be hard to handle. And what we, what we see from this passage is that all of this prosperity, all of this power began to, to change King Nebuchadnezzar's mentality, solidified him in a certain path and way of life, um, and success became a temptation to pride. We can see this pride festering, as it always does, in this shift Verse 30, as it progressed, in Nebuchadnezzar's own words, he's on the roof of his palace. He says, by my own power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Now, you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to realize that there are a lot of personal pronouns in here. This is a lot of I, me, my, mine. Right? And what's dropped out of this is also some obvious facts. Nebuchadnezzar was a human being, and life as we know it, 90% of it is actually showing up. Think about it. You didn't make the body that you move in. You don't make your heartbeat. 
You didn't craft the environment in which you live. You didn't provide the oxygen in which you breathe. Literally every breath reminds a human being of dependence and of the fact that life itself is a mystery that goes beyond oneself and that it is, it is of gift and it is of grace and it has an origin. All of this drops out for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and fortunately, none of us would ever become that self-focused to believe that, that life is about us. So we don't have to worry about that this morning. Um, we're talking about an ancient king. Okay? Now we see the movement of pride in Nebuchadnezzar's life Uh, In this, maybe foremost, that he began to interchange and confuse who he was, what provided him his core identity with what he had done. Now, we live in a culture of consumerism in which the value of something is what someone is willing to demand and pay for it. We buy and make and sell and we reward those who make and buy and sell the best. Right? So if you've seen the bumper sticker on your car, you know, the, the, the guy with the most toys wins. Okay, but let's step back that for a second, from that for a moment, and just think for, for a second, is that really true? Is it true that people who place their security and their sense of centeredness in their accomplishments, in the things that they own, and the things that they accomplish and the rewards that they accumulate. Is this a reliable path to peace? You see, you are a human being, not a human doing. And despite what culture may tell you about what gives you significance, what gives you dignity, what gives you worth, this is a crazy way to live, to believe that you are what you have done. And so we see the beginning of dissent into a kind of insanity in Nebuchadnezzar right here as pride takes root, as his, as his perspective becomes confused. And I would like to suggest that this happens to all of us. There, in this way of life, there's only two ways, and, they, and, and you ultimately lose in both. One is to actually believe your own press and to believe that you are what you offer. The other is to be caught on the other side of that equation to believe that you are never enough, that you can never, that there's someone always better, that you are inadequate, that your value actually comes from your failure, or your your failure speaks to it. And this is a terrible way to live. Um, And often we live on both sides of this equation depending on what day of the week it is, right? If you're like me. Um, And what we see from this ancient text Um, is that the God of heaven has a different plan. Pride confuses identity with accomplishments. Now let's look at the progression of pride. The messenger comes from heaven to tell Daniel, or to tell Nebuchadnezzar, that this path that he's on will ultimately drive him from human society. In other words, the path, the mentality that you are on isolates you. It It disrupts the flow of love and connection, which always comes, by the way, through vulnerability, like like trying trying to demand or achieve love from your external things, actually, ironically, pushes the people that are closest to you away. It makes little room for God, for others, ultimately for your true self. Um, In a weird way, you become a slave 
and you become more and more alone. You become less, not more. This is what happens literally to King Nebuchadnezzar where his pride ultimately drives him not only from the possibility of love, but from people themselves. You will live in the field with the wild animals. Friends, pride is literally a form of insanity. The way of pride is crazy-making. Ultimately, at the center of it, it is empty. This is why so many of our best and brightest, our richest, and our most famous give generational witness to the fact that they feel alone, they feel like a fraud, they feel desperate, many of them suicidal. There is no way home for the human heart in the way of pride. Pride is literally a progressive descent into insanity. And this is what happened to this king. Notice that ultimately the tree is stripped, is cut down. Pride literally destroyed Nebuchadnezzar's capacity for, for life. I think it was Einstein who said that insanity is actually doing more of what's not working and expecting different results. And so most of us, as the warning signs, like they came to Nebuchadnezzar, come to our lives, there's echoes, there's illustrations of how our life is actually breaking down and becoming more disordered, more erratic, more chaotic, more disconnected, more isolated, rather than, rather than turning and opening up to a different way, many of us double down. We try harder. We, 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 we give more energy to defend and to react and to pursue. And it begins to limit our capacity for all things good, true, and beautiful. Ultimately, in the story, Nebuchadnezzar comes to the end of himself, and in this simple but powerful verse, 34, he gives witness to this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned. You want to get off the path of crazy, back into the path of wholeness and reintegration. Don't miss this turn. Ultimately, the way forward always is looking away from self to something beyond yourself, to something bigger than yourself, a vision for your life that connects with more than self, purpose for your life that actually integrates with others and with God. You see, as far away as you may feel from the life that you always wanted and were made for, the turn actually is actually simple. It is about not your accomplishments, but your disposition. It's about an attitude and a perspective, what the Bible calls humility. 
Now, this wisdom, which is all through the scriptures, by the way, was demonstrated most fully in Jesus Christ in his descent to earth to show us the very heart of God is not only a biblical principle, it is a life one. It's woven through all of life. In fact, there is lots of research now on humility and pride and its impact. We don't have time to, we don't have time to delve into that now, but let me just give you a quick overview. Humility is an accurate view of one's abilities and achievements. It's the capacity to acknowledge shortcomings and mistakes and limitations. In other words, you can hold the good and the bad, the negative and the positive together in your life. It is receptivity to outside input or contradictory ideas. That basically means you don't always think that you're right. It is a realistic view of one's place in the larger context of the world and eternity. It is an adaptive level of self-focus. It's the capacity to appreciate that all people have a contribution. Friends, humility is a key that unlocks our capacity for life. This is true psychologically. So these are things that psychologists care about in terms of adaptive and mature personality. It is multidimensional, meaning that it affects relational, intellectual, and spiritual arenas of our life. And ironically, you can have some of something going on in one area and be totally closed off in another. So it's a growth process of bringing humility into the whole person. It has a moral dimension, so if we, we wanted to talk about goodness, like virtue, there are psychological virtues, virtues, there are social virtues, there are spiritual virtues. Again, this is unpacked in the literature. But let me tell you one common denominator, they are all unlocked by humility. This is a performance issue. So there's lots of money, lots, lots of people who run businesses in here and are interested in human endeavor and you're in the school systems. All kinds of stuff being given to us about learning theory and creativity and leadership principles and conflict resolution and relational you know, like intelligence and character you know, formation and integrity and self-care and purpose. Let me just tell you this. Humility is a key that unlocks capacity and performance in every arena. Like I could give a talk on each one of these categories connected to humility. See, God, when God says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, this is a life principle. It is literally the fulcrum of your life. Now, what I want to say just in closing about this passage, packed full of so much, is that this is actually not a story ultimately about Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a story ultimately about you or me. 
This is a story about what God is like, how he thinks about things, his perspective, his values, his grace. And I think we should close just in reflecting on this as we grapple with this turn towards heaven and towards this God. You see, the scripture tells us in this text that God saw Nebuchadnezzar. Now think about that just for a second. Here is a pagan, arrogant, and I, can't even, I cannot even read for you in church the practices of this man. They are that X-rated. And yet, God saw this man. He did not dismiss this man. In fact, he engaged this man. Would you agree? In, in an amazing multi-year process. This is the God of heaven who has seen humanity, who sees you, who sees me, and moves toward us in compassion. God brought judgment, certainly severe interruption of this man's life, but I want you to notice that this was clearly and from the beginning not a punitive act. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar is explicitly told that he's going to go, going to go through a process until he learns. See, God and his engagement with you and with me right now is like this. He wants us to level up. He wants us to grow. He wants us to take into the core of ourselves the things that make us most ourselves. His vision for humanity, for you, is life-giving. It's invitational. It's wise. It's beautiful. Notice also the way that God breaks the rules, you know? He doesn't, he says explicitly to King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, you're a king. Which just means that, like, unlike everybody else, you are like everybody else, but unlike everybody else, you can hurt a lot more people. It is not about your position. I grant my involvement, my love, my invitation to the lowly, like to anyone. In fact, the only way that you access this kind of grace and goodness, the starting place is to recognize that you need it. That's the turn towards heaven. But this is, this is the God of heaven. This is what he's like. This is what he cares about. God, the most powerful being, the actual ruler of heaven and earth, uses power and authority, according to the text, for justice. Isn't it amazing to think for a moment that absolute capacity is inextricably married to absolute goodness? Take a deep breath, drink that in. Because when you look to heaven, you look to the one who is the origin of your good, the redeemer of your life, and your very destiny. And so, with King Nebuchadnezzar, 
May we conclude that there is a way up, and strangely, it's the way down. Would you join me for a moment in lifting our hearts to the wise, the good, and the powerful God of heaven and to invite his capacity to our points of need? Lord, we come with all our crazy-making ways. We come with our uneven descent into insanity. We acknowledge that our life with us at the center is unmanageable. And we dare to turn our eyes towards heaven and to ask for your grace and your intervention, your shifting of our perspective and our disposition. Thank you for this example and also your promises personified in Jesus Christ. That you, the great God of heaven, actually has become, has humbled yourself and become one of us. You have not demanded, you have given grace. You have offered to lift us up with you to life that's truly life. You are so good, you're so wise, we want to take advantage. Of your grace. So may we be able to personalize this text this morning ourselves to say, I Del Fazenfeld, or put your name there. Came to my senses and I looked up to heaven. and my sanity was restored. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.